This town ain't small, it's a little of both, they say. Our ball club may be minor league, but at least it's triple A. We sit below the Marlboro Man, above the Rockville Wall. We do the wave all by ourselves. Hey, up a blind man could have made that call. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here by our co-hosts, Will George from A Day at the Yard Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will, and the star of our show, America's Most Beloved Sports Writer, the Hall of Famer, Kevin Kernan. This is episode 412 on the network. This is Coach and Kernan's show. i uh, got a full jam-packed episode today. We will be without Sal, uh, who's under the weather. We hope he feels better uh, this week. I'm sure he will. But uh, guys, packed show today. Got a couple of ad reads before we get going. Hope our audience will bear with us and, and uh, listen to the people that are supporting us. Our almost 64,000 subscribers. Uh, before that, I just want to welcome you guys. Welcome you guys back to your show. Kevin, welcome back. Great to be back. Everybody stay warm. We'll bring the heat today. Yeah. yeah great to be on with you guys. Yeah. Well, welcome back. We, we had a lot of, we had a lot of NFL football we're going to get to today. So um, I know our audience is rip roaring for that as well, but we'll first we'll do a couple ad reads. We've got Blackout Coffee, be awake, not woke. Uh, if you want 20% off at checkout, use K-E-V-I-K, all caps, 20, Kevy K, 20 at checkout. We'll get you 20% off. After that, use his link to get 15% off. Uh, Jaw Bats, we see Jeff Fry's using it down at the Red Sox Fantasy Camp right now. Tanner's been sporting it online. Jaw Bats, use RVG caps at checkout. We'll get you 15% off anything, bats, hats, apparel, whatever you want from Jaw Bats. They will be the newest bat in Major League Baseball this year. And then we've got two quick ad reads, one from Liquid IV and one from Zencaster. So hang tight for 90 seconds a pop. Please don't uh, fast forward if you don't mind. Liquid IV is the category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being. Their hydration multiplier is a great tasting non-GMO electrolyte drink mix powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water alone. Hydration isn't only for people training for championships and marathons. It's about daily maintenance. I use it when I travel, watch my kids play in soccer or basketball games, back for back-to-back conference calls, or even neighborhood walks. Proper functional hydration is essential, and Liquid IV is the number one power, powdered hydration brand in America. Their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. For me, it's the Liquid IV flavors. They offer 12 unique flavors. From strawberry lemonade to Concord grape, my favorite, acai berry. One stick of liquid IV and 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It contains five essential vitamins with three times the electrolytes of leading sports drinks. It's made from quality ingredients, non-GMO, free from gluten, dairy, and soy. That's why I'm asking you. Take a look at this. This is for real people. It's got real flavors. It's real hydrating. And you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use our code RVG at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you stop, when you shop better hydration today using our promo code RVG at liquidiv.com. Zencaster. How to start podcasting with Zencaster. It's now... The all-in-one solution making podcasting easy. It's the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content 
all from one dashboard. Being a creator has never been easier. Why did I choose Zencaster? Three years ago, I had never listened to a podcast. Now I've successfully produced almost 400 podcasts in the last two and a half years, all using Zencaster. And it's so easy. Log in using your browser and start recording a high quality podcast right away. Record studio quality sound and up to 4,000 videos with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. And it's all in one. If you have thought about podcasting before and realize that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. What am I asking from you? Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code, all capitals, RVG, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So thank you to our sponsors there, Jaw Bats, uh, Blackout Coffee, Liquid IV, and Zencaster, our podcast host. Uh, before we get going here with, with, with Kevin, I'll wanna, I love the stories again this week, uh, specifically the, the one about the scouts. I, I think that documentary is going to be a hit. Scouts and reporters have been the lifeblood of our sport for a long time, and I'm glad you, you continue to champion for them. But we were coaching Kernan's show. And our network, two separate things, have been nominated for a Sportscast Group Award uh, for our work this past year. So both uh, Real Voice of the Game, Total Network, and then specifically Coach and Kernan as well, uh, nominated for awards this year. So I've got to get those forms filled out today uh, for us. But congratulations to you guys. I was hoping Sal would be on as well to share with him as well, uh, in the same time we did with our audience. But uh, uh, And I guarantee if we win, we won't have to give back the awards, Kevin. So, um, where, where do you want to start today? I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear some about the. You know, I know we've got a lot going on in the sports world, but you hit on some key articles with with Ball Nine, and um, you know, after reading that one with the scouts, and they're they're going to be presenting at the Hall of Fame. My first thought was, boy, wouldn't wouldn't you make a great part of that presentation if they brought you down there for all the research you did and the digging you did, and you really brought that story to life. I appreciate that, Dave. Yeah, the. Um just uh, to let people know, if you're in the area, you're freezing your yaya's off, uh, go over to the Hall of Fame on Thursday, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, yeah, the 18th at 2 p.m., I think. may start a little earlier than that, but if you go to, you know, Hall of Fame is a great place to go in the winter, not as crowded uh, in Cooperstown, and and uh, the ticket to the Hall gets you into the film as well, and it's called Fielding Dreams. Uh, it's been in the works for four years. They traveled around the country with scouts. It's, it, well, I like it for a couple of reasons. It's on a, um, I call it a small market basis uh, financially. These, you know, these two college professors, they got grants, kicked in some of their own money, uh, did 60 hours of interviews with scouts and other people. Uh, you know, Pat Gillick is in it uh, prominently. You see these guys at work, what they really do, explains what they do. And it also explains how they're being pushed aside. Um, you know, and we can get this a little bit. It's, it's starting to happen in football now, too. That's why you're seeing so many bad football games and football plays. We'll get to that later. But I, I wanted to uh, uh, point out that the scouts do this for the love of the game. And, and like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's 
I asked the guy who did the film, I said, what's the biggest thing you learned? And he, and he, he said, well, you know, first of all, obviously he hit the travel thing. Couldn't believe how much travel they do. And this guy's name is Jim Gilmore, uh, college professor, University of Michigan, by the way, and Flagler. And, um, and, uh, and then the second thing he hit, which I thought was pretty interesting because it's another view, you know, it's not just me who's been around scouts forever, but he said, I, I guess I expected them to be cocky and arrogant thinking football, baseball coach types, and they are nothing like that. They're the nicest people I have met in my life, getting paid the least amount of anybody in baseball with the least amount of job security. And every single one of them adores this game. And you just sit there, sit there and go, being what you're being paid, it seems unfair at times. So I'm sure Will can address that, but uh, uh, without getting in too much trouble. Uh, but but that's basically, uh, you know, it gives you, it shows you what scouts do, where they come from. And plus, I like it gives you a little bit of history to scouts where, um, you know, f- famous names from the back uh, background come up and how they taught these guys who taught the next generation, who taught the next generation. And that's why we're getting teams, uh, you know, so many teams are the same now. The, the front offices are the same. I mean, I just read a disgusting quote from Tom Werner about, you know, basically how we're going to be competitive. Well, you should, you know, I want to be competitive when I'm going to Publix, you know, yeah, getting a gallon of milk. So what the hell are you talking about being competitive? You're freaking Red Sox. You, you, pay, you know, the tickets are the most expensive, basically, in baseball with the Dodgers and Yankees. You're going to be competitive? Hell with that. You know, lean on your scouts again, not leaning on nerds who 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 basically keep their job. It's, it's the, you know, I wrote about pitching Ponzi scheme a few weeks ago, and that, that – uh, funny story, um, Ed Lynch called me the other night, you know, former GM, and, and I can't mention the name because, again, a lot of people who read me still work for baseball teams, and if and I, I criticize the teams. So, But a big, big, big – I said, Ed, where would you see the column? Did you see go to ball9.com? He goes, no, no. Uh, and then he mentioned a very, 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 very big name. He sent it to me. So, uh, you know, it's um, – everybody knows what's going on. It's a joke. Um, and so this was my little homage to the scouts. Good for them. It's a fun story. And if you're in the uh, neighborhood, go see the film, check out. And cause there are no scouts in the hall of fame. We know that. So, uh, uh, for some reason, uh, they aren't in the hall of fame. A guy like Pat Gillick is in the hall of fame and he started out as a scout and he points out, I'd never be, I wouldn't be in the hall of fame without my scouts or my development people. And that's what baseball has lost. So many teams. Rangers haven't lost it. Ironically, one last point. In the uh, production of the film, because Gilmore had, a, a, I think, a cousin who worked for the Rangers. So they hooked up with like five or six Ranger scouts. And this was done over a long period of time. But, of course, within the last year, you know, last October, whatever, they win the World Series. So it not only tells you about the value of scouting, it shows you the value of scouting and how it really works because the Rangers won the whole shebang. And to, and to see those guys celebrating the, the joy it brought them, um, it was pretty cool. So it's, it's a good, it's a good little film. Uh, Katie, pictures uh, and people are sending me notes like, "Where can I see it?" It's not distributed yet. It's going to be in some film festivals. I'll keep you updated on it. So that's 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 my spiel on that. Was there anything that you learned in it that you didn't know before that they they highlighted or picked out? Uh, not really, because I know I, I know so much, yes. but but but. It was what I liked is that they were talking uh, like a Dayton Moore, you know, yeah. basically, you know, 
you know, he's, he's, he's extensive in it as well. And he was a former GM and, and Jerry Blevins uh, narrates the film. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they actually found what, what I learned was that it was good for them to finally speak up and defend themselves. That, yeah. that would be the biggest thing because they're, they're always so giving in this film. They talk about what they actually do. And that made a, that made a big difference. And um, um, it's, uh, you know, like one scout said, everybody that caught the pass, the baseball passion, the bug at a young age and kind of pursued it. That's what makes it easy to get up and get on an airplane at 4 a.m. in the morning. And maybe the next day at 4 a.m. And maybe the next day at 4 a.m. Or uh, uh, like Gilmore said, too, the thing that caught him. And this this was a little bit because um, I didn't understand this until I started dealing with amateur scouts. They'll go see a game like maybe 100 miles away and then maybe see a few innings and see who they wanted to see. And then they'll go somewhere else for another 100 miles. You know, so uh, it's not like they just sit back. It's like when I cover baseball, I can't tell you how many – especially when friends of mine thought I'd be, you know, Hey, I see you're going to be in uh, San Francisco. Hey, I'll stop by. We'll have a beer. You know, you don't sit around and watch the game and have a beer as a, as a writer, you're watching the game, you're, you're reporting and doing things. Same thing with scouts, you know, they're, they're running place to place. So it was a, it was a great, great thing. And the other thing I liked is, you know, we, we, we all like Ken Burns stuff, but it's a little Ken Burnsy, you know, it's a little too much sometimes. Uh, you know, with how he, the history of the world, you know, and, and his, this was to me a lot more realistic in a lot of ways. They did get into the COVID thing, which I wasn't, but again, it happened in the middle of the filming. So I get that. And the point I want to make about the COVID thing is that uh, it, they made the world stop. All right. But the scouts still kept going and they were still finding games to go to and things like that. And uh, yeah, so it's a, uh, it's uh, I would recommend every nerd. They don't, they won't have the patience to watch this. Uh, they won't have the desire to watch this and they think they're smarter than everybody in the world. So they won't even watch it. So that's why I'm kind of saying the hell with them and let's move baseball forward with the uh, baseball people. Just like Pete Carroll, my last point here, love what Pete Carroll said after he got fired, he went into the meeting with all these, uh, uh, you know, all the upper ups in uh, Seattle. And what did he say? He came out of the meeting. He said what I've been saying for years about baseball. He said, he said, they're not, they're not football people. Well, same thing in baseball. They're not baseball people. That's why, that's why the Red Sox stink and they're in last place. They're not baseball people. That's how you trade Mookie Betts. That's how the Yankees have won world, have had as many World Series since the Marlins since 2003. So, so let's get baseball people back in baseball. And, uh, and by the way, the Yankees did make a good hire. I can't always rip them. Pat Rossler, they hired as a hitting coach. Uh, I'm sure his, his connection with Juan Soto is a big reason for that. So they are doing some good hires for work. Oh, so uh, got me going. And uh, back to you, Dave. <laughs> yeah. no, well, Will, you, I didn't realize scouts weren't in the Hall of Fame. And and, and our uh, our favorite scout here, Will George. Will, you had you wanted to add yeah, something? Uh, first of all, thanks to the, to, to the folks that made the movie and highlighted scouts. And thanks to you, Kevin, for uh, – given us some love and uh excited to see the movie i think i told you i watched an interview with uh with uh one of the directors in ken medea who was prominently in there and it was really good it was on a local detroit station but um you know uh you know you talked about seeing many games uh easter vacation week in the new york area the city in new york used to play uh, 
morning high school games. So mm-hmm. uh, Joe Rigoli and I, who you know very well, we would, uh, Bob Johnson, who's been on the show, and uh, we would end up seeing a game in the morning. We would see a junior college game. In the afternoon, we'd see a college game at 4 o'clock, and then Rockland Community College would play night games. And uh, we would see sometimes upward of close to four games during the course of a day. Wow. Um, But, you know, that was a a time and a place, too, where we dug past uh, the Power Five conference colleges and the showcase baseball and found kids at junior colleges and at and at division three schools and, you know, places like Montclair State that always had a, a strong program and Glassboro State and Rowan and then over in Pennsylvania, Kutztown and the division two schools, Millardsville. So there were, you know, um, uh, and then talk about us being nice, really nice people. Uh, there's a reason I'm a happy person and I'm grateful for my life in baseball because I've been around and mentored by really good people for so long. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a great that's, point. That's truly what most baseball people are. Yeah, you know? and, and, and didn't Joe Bergoli, uh, I, I remember um, he – you did a pretty good job of getting the Cardinals staff together, right? Uh, yeah, Joe Rigoli at one point, um, and I don't know how he's never become a scouting director, And uh, but at one point he had four of the five guys in the rotation. Now, two of them were first-round picks, Alan Watson and uh, Matt Morris, but he also had uh, two other, John Frascatore, who was a Division II guy, he had another guy from an NAIA school who had gotten into the rotation, and he had Rayo Cormier pitching as a setup man all at, all at one time in the St. Louis Cardinals major league pitching staff. Wow. Um, and like I said, I don't know how nobody in our industry noticed how good of a, an evaluator he was and uh, how he never got a chance to, to, to lead a, a team's scouting department but hey but if you know i know you can't say this but i can uh if you're if you're a good little intern you know maybe in four years you could be scouting director oh yeah no or maybe player development director you know um, or or, or um, maybe assistant gm or maybe even gm yeah unfortunately uh that's where our industry's gone um i like having smart people around me but i also need wisdom people who've been in the game a long time and uh, like Pat Gillick, uh, you know, said, you know, if it wasn't for those other people, he wouldn't be where he is. Uh, Dayton Moore learned from Paul Snyder, who should be in the Hall of Fame tomorrow. Yeah, yeah <laughs> he, Paul, he, Snyder. You know, Paul Snyder built him and Bobby Cox built that whole Braves thing. Sherholtz came in and managed it, but they had really good people. Uh, that, that that did the right thing when it came to player development and scouting. And well, in the film is the they interview Brian Bridges at, Brian, at the time. Yeah. He was a national cross checker with the Giants. He had been a scouting director with the Braves, but got yeah. kicked out when when uh, the new group came in. But you know, he was uh, responsible for some good Braves drafts, oh, included no. Austin Riley. And and he talked about how he wanted one of the things that he looked at for players was guys who who lived the game 
Yeah, externally, you know, they, they it meant so much to him. And and you watch Austin Riley play, and you can see he's that type yeah. of player. Yeah, guys that guys that love to play the game, that, that that play the game with a passion, that come to kick your ass every day when they right. come and compete, uh, and they jump out to us. They really do. They, uh, yeah, it's a hard job, but the the really really good ones, boy, they jump out at you, especially now. Yeah, especially now, and and Brid- just to sum it all up, put a bow on it. Bridges in the filming, in the, in the course of the filming, and by the time the film ended, he he got he got hired too as a, a scouting uh, director, I believe, with the Rangers yeah. or something yeah. with the Rangers. Big big job. Uh, yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry. He was the Royals director of uh, amateur yeah. scouting. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And uh, and uh, we'll see where it goes with them. But that's the you know it's. It's not just looking at numbers. It's a lot deeper than that. And um, and I think we're starting, you know, we'll get into it, Dave, but we're starting to see some of the things in football now are, are, are becoming analytically driven and the game is becoming a mess too. Yeah. I want to say something about both your professions, if you don't mind. It's, it's uh, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, taken even down to the grassroots level, it was always impressed upon us by our coaches and, and our parents that the, the biggest uh, – the, the biggest draw at the parks was when the local sports writer came down and the local scout, the bird dog scout. Mm. And I remember their names uh, to a T. And then we were always told, hey, you make sure you go up and you shake Jimmy Schlitz. Tell me that doesn't sound like a made-up sports writer's <laughs> name. And, uh, and and Bill Arsenal. They were the two guys. And then oh, Hank, Hank Caputo was the local scout. He was the bird dog. And uh, <clears throat> those guys, when they walked into me, they were like gods. And we didn't know how much, you know, how little they were getting paid. We didn't know how much they were traveling. All we know is such a big deal when they came in and they knew you by name and they'd follow you all the way through. But those guys were revered in our areas. And, I, and I'll say this, there's not, and I was in shock. I did not know that scouts were not in the Hall of Fame, that there wasn't scouts in there. Um, that's something I learned from it. And there's not a single ball player that you can talk to that won't be able to name, sorry for the double negatives, the very first scout that saw them or the scout that gave them a shot. That that's always a part of the story, and uh, it, it it that made me sad when I read when I when I read that that scouts aren't in the Hall of Fame, and I'm I'm embarrassed I didn't know, but um, you know that's it, that's the scout that found the player in my opinion should be on the plaque at the very least. Um, yeah, and, and and in in the film, Dayton Moore, it's one of the best quotes in the film. Um, he said, "Every major league player, every minor league player's career began because of the vision of a scout, and not just because a scout found it, but a vision of a scout." Yeah, no, that's that that that's you got to project. You're not looking at past numbers, right, Will? No, you 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 know you look at you know I saw Matt Morris in high school and I turned him in. Um, he he ended up going to Seton Hall. He didn't get drafted real high, but you knew with natural maturation, what he was going to end up being. And he ended up being a first round pick. And, you know, that's why when I worked for Gary Hughes and and the Marlins people, you know, Gary and Oren Freeman and David Dombrowski, they used to talk about, you know, don't be afraid to project, you know, we can pay him now or pay him later. Yeah. It might cost 400,000 now out of high school, but when they go to college, it's going to cost us over a million if they go in the first round. Mm. So now you, they're in your system for three years. But, you know, we, you know we're, we're trending towards not even drafting high school players, from what I understand. 
they would like the colleges to take place of the minor leagues, which I, I, I you know, that's a whole nother show we could do, but I don't know. We're going to sign 15 and 16 year old Latin kids, but we're only going to sign American kids that go to college. How are you going to blend all that together? Yeah. Uh, let me throw a name at you. Uh, Evan Carter, yeah. high school draft. Did okay with the Rangers this year. Made a huge difference for the team. What, what's some? No, there's, uh, there, there, there's no doubt. You know, look at, you know, I mean, you know, a, a, a lot of the greatest players that ever played the game were high school drafts. Um, but that was also when we did a better job as an industry developing too. Well, let me throw this out. I think, and again, you, 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 you kind of spark my interest when you say things like this. Um, and this is what's different about our show. Nobody's digging deep like we are. So you, you can listen to the other shows. They're great, whatever. Everybody has a podcast. It seems like good for Zencaster, but uh, our show digs deeper. But I, my theory now, the more you talk, my theory, my, the way my head works well, they probably want to draft college guys, not only because they're a little bit more developed, but they then they have two, three, four more years of analytics on them. Oh, you no know, doubt. They have numbers on them, whereas the high school guys, you don't have real, you don't have that kind of numbers. Yeah. So it all comes back to the numbers and these guys not knowing baseball, doing everything by numbers. Well, that's uh, one always stuck out to me. And I think... Uh... It, 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 it's a Mets guy. They took Billy Koch out of high school, who was a local New York kid. Um, and they took him in the fourth round, I think. And they couldn't sign him over ten dollars or $15,000. And three years later out of Clemson, you know, Oakland took him in the first round. And he got to the big leagues very quickly, ended up being a really good closer. But, you know, you look back and you go, you know, I think he wanted 285 and they offered him 270 or something, <laughs> you know, and then you look at that and you, you know, that was before the money's become insane too. So, <laughs> you well, know. Also, what's going to happen now with NIL? I mean, it's not as much in baseball as football, obviously, or right. basketball. Right. But if you're, if you're a high school kid now, do you sign for whatever they're offering you when you have a chance to go? To, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just throwing it out there. LSU, you know, one of these big baseball schools and maybe get, uh, you know, a pretty good NIL deal. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I would say there might be four or five, and this is just without any knowledge at all, but just an estimate, maybe four or five players in the country that are getting NIL money for baseball. I think all of it is in basketball and football. I think that my brother read somewhere that uh, if you spread out all the money, it's every player and every player in the country is getting fifteen thousand dollars and playing in college. Well, <laughs> you know where you know that's that's between all the college athletes out there, but all the money's in football and basketball. I think well, my prediction is that you will see some of that money going to softball. And you'll see it going to college baseball because I think you'll see more and you're going to see it going to volleyball too, because those sports are getting a foothold in the TV networks. Well, yeah, you know, and, and, and I think the girl from Iowa, the really good player. Clark. Uh, yeah. yeah. She's, you know, just there. I, I didn't read the article, but I think there were, you know, you know, she's going to, 
keep playing in college because she's going to make more money, right? Oh, yeah, she'll make. Uh, so with the the NIL money, it's it's really outlaw money, and it's been going on for years. But so the the, the football and the basketball is the most pronounced. We're dealing with it now with our we we help kids with scholarships with our one on one group and. We had a busy November with 77 kids signing, mostly in basketball. We had another 15 to 20 sign in baseball. But the NIL money is just distributed differently in baseball. It's yeah. uh, it's not coming directly from the NIL account. It's coming from the local car dealer who's paying the you know the new first baseman who's only on a half scholarship, right. $75,000 a year to, to appear on one 30-second commercial. Um so it's just, it's, it's done differently. So it's, it's out there. And, and I said this when it started that, you know, the, the, the women athletes were complaining that now the, the men were going to get richer. Now, first of all, football is the only sport in college athletics that actually generates revenue. Basketball, some of them do on the men's side. Every other sport loses a shitload of money. And, you know, if you want to term it the, the proper way, when, when you do something that's uh, that, that to that level that doesn't make money, it's more of a social responsibility to have it. Um, but these these women athletes now are making a ton. I mean, you see the gymnast from LSU making. Oh yeah, she's making five six million bucks. She's making there more than Olivia Williams. Yeah, um, Olivia Dunn or something. Yeah. Yeah. So even these um, the basketball players are deciding to do I, and that's that's a bargaining tool now for college uh, mm-hmm. for all the sports. Do we we can offer a, you know a, a point guard five million dollars to stay at Kentucky as opposed to being a second round draft pick in the NBA and maybe not making the roster. Well, St. John's, we, Rick Pitino. I'm sure Rick's going to, you know, I've known Rick from day one. I, I went to uh, Garfinkel's basketball camp with, one day with Rick Pitino. So that was an interesting day. And, uh, you know, so, you know, Rick knows how to figure out all the angles. So with, with St. John's, you know, he's going to he's going to bring that back. So it's the point is, it's a whole new world. And you, you need scouts to dig deep on these guys and and, uh, and find them and uh if you're going to be a consistent organization, you, you have to have good scouts. It's really that simple. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's, if, if you're going to spend that even more money now, the makeup of an individual is even more important than ever before. Well, Nobody you know, I think the, uh, the Rays have learned that with Wander Franco. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody compliments teams for, you know, signing these guys young and, uh, you know, we'll, it'll be interesting to see what the Brewers do with a young player. They gave a ton of money to how he responds. But right now, you got you got to think the Rays. What uh, the Wander Franco situation is really a, a sad, on so many levels situation, and where's it going to go? And and that that has to set a franchise back uh, tremendously. You know, something else that just came to my head as we were talking about, you know, projecting on high school pitchers that, that we don't want to do now. Right. Because I hear guys in the amateur side. Well, you know, there's not enough now velocity is that sends the kid to college to go chase velocity. Chase velocity, exactly. As opposed to going, gosh, this kid's a really good competitor. He's got feel for a curveball. He's athletic. He's got a good delivery. He's touching 92, 93 now. When he fills out, he's going to throw plenty hard enough. Then he becomes more of a pitcher than a kid that goes to a college that does weighted balls for three years, ends up being a closer in college and throws 99 a couple times a game, but has no secondary pitches, no feel for pitching, and ends up having somewhere between the next 
three or four years after high school having a Tommy John surgery. Well, let so, me bring you back to a Pat Gillick comment from the story uh, that, that I wrote. But he's, this is Gillick. Uh, I've been a delivery guy as long as you can go back. I don't think you can be successful as a pitcher if you can't repeat your delivery. I'm more in delivery than on arm strength. If you have a good delivery, you can learn how to pitch. You can learn how to move the ball around. If you don't have a good delivery, then you can't get in sync. No, no doubt. No doubt. I, I think back of uh, when he was in Toronto and I was doing the area and I had New England and I saw Chris Carpenter from New Hampshire at a tournament in Brockton, Massachusetts, his junior year. And I went, oh, my gosh, look at this guy. You know, he was 6'4", about 170 pounds, but he was touching 91. But it was an athletic delivery, clean arm, threw downhill. The ball came out of his hand. I think they took him in the second second round. And what a great career he had, you know. Uh, but that was that was Toronto. You know, they had really good scouts. And, um, Ed Lynch was one of those scouts up yeah, in Toronto. Yeah, not, not afraid to project on guys and, you know. You know, it's funny they talk about Theo Epstein's tree, you know, but think of all the trees of the Paul Snyders that that, that had Dayton Moore and now J.J. Piccolo as a GM and Brian Bridges and, uh, you know, some of the other guys who became great scouts out of the Atlanta system and, you know, Gary Hughes and Dombrowski and in Montreal and then going to Florida and, you know, basically, you know, a lot of really, really good people that they build. And, you know, the Cleveland Indians, uh, when I worked over there, all the good people that were in there. So there's just, you know, there, there's a lot of good trees of good people that, that, that uh, were really good baseball people that were developed in this game the right way to how do, how do we make so many mistakes as, as a, when I say we, it's not us three, but um, you know, Kevin, you mentioned the NFL and we were talking before the show, the quarterback position to me is probably the most misevaluated over. Uh, I mean, there's so many financial mistakes made. Sometimes they pull them too early. Sometimes they don't give them the shot. I mean, how is that position so misevaluated? Well, I have the answer for that. Uh, again, I'm just, I'm a sports writer, but I, I love sports. I covered sports my whole life. I love football, played football, baseball in high school, uh, played baseball in college. But I've always had a good eye for football talent, too, like I do with baseball talent. So I'll give you one quick story, puts it all in perspective. Uh, 2017, I go out to Wyoming with my buddies for a football game. Tracy Ringlesby, the writer for famous writer for Denver uh, for many years. Um, MLB.com. He he has a ranch out his little place out there, and we go to a we go to a Wyoming football game, and I start watching them a little bit on TV, going out there, and I get to see Josh Allen, you know, and and I see him play. I forget who he played that game, but he dominated the game, and I at the time the Jets were in on Josh Allen supposedly, so me being me, I just didn't watch the game. I went up into the press box because I talked to the offensive coordinator during the week to get a feel for Josh Allen, uh, did my homework. Um, so I go up to the press box to search out the, the, the jet scout thinking I may know the guy. It may be like, uh, like the, the Maras. One of the Maras is the giants chief scout. 
So I did, I did the, believe it or not, I did the first stories on his daughters who became famous actresses. I did them when they were just starting out as actresses. You know, I remember meeting with them and because uh, I knew the Maris. And uh, so I'm thinking, oh, well, Jet's got to have like, your, you know, somebody from from pro personnel there. You know, maybe I know the guy. So I go up to look for him and I'm looking around and I see a little scout in the back or a guy, young, young intern looking guy. Nice guy. I'm not ripping the guy at all. Nice guy. I go over to talk to him. They had him monitoring Josh Allen. Now, this kid was not anything big in the organization. He was in this, he must have been in the scouting department in some capacity, but he was there basically to make sure Josh Allen didn't, you know, do something stupid that they would turn him off or, or whatever. But he wasn't there to involve. So I'm talking to him about Josh Allen and I'm realizing myself, oh my God, they don't, they don't know what they're looking at. So that gets, I know it sounds stupid, Dave, but they make mistakes because they don't know what they're looking at. It's really that simple. Let's let's boil it down to what it really. It's why I said on this show before the season, the NFL season started, that CJ Stroud was was phenomenal. I could see how he 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 released the ball. Now Jordan Love, you're seeing with Jordan. Jordan Love learned so much from Aaron Rodgers, the way he's throwing off balance, yeah. uh, almost his feet in the air. Both Stroud and Jordan Love have turned quarterback into a shortstop position. They play quarterback like, like uh, to me, you know, like Jeter played shortstop. It wasn't always, you know, the smoothest thing in the world, but they would find a way to get the play completed. That's what they do. So the Jets had the pick. They, you know, they could have picked Josh Allen that year, and and they picked the guy who's still bouncing around. What's his name? Um, uh, from USC, um, they picked him over Josh Darnold. Allen. And then later on, a few weeks later after the draft, I was at the Jets because I, I used to write some Jets here and there late in the season when baseball ended. And I asked some Jets people, I said, why the hell didn't you pick Josh Allen? Oh, his completion percentage sucked. Well, I said to him, I said, well, don't you think your completion percentage would suck if you're, if you're in Wyoming where it's windy, whatever, and, and you don't have NFL quality type receivers? Maybe your completion percentage is going to suck. So they... That answers my question on two levels. They looked at numbers instead of looking at Josh Allen. And you know what? They're going to pay for that for the next 10 years. They're already paying for it. The bills are head and shoulders above them because of Josh Allen. So that's that's how it happens. The people in charge of teams and the Jets are a joke, really, with the, what they've done. Maybe Rodgers can save them, but it's going to take a lot. Um, they had an, an intern looking at Josh Allen who, even if he loved him, if he came raving back, they probably wouldn't have paid any attention to him. So that's how it happens. Yeah. You know, uh, the other thing with quarterbacks, it seems to be, um, and, I, and I've watched a lot of football this, this fall since baseball ended, and um, Love and uh, Stroud and some of these young kids, uh, you know, I know we want that RPO athletic guy, but passing accuracy matters. And you were quarterback and, in high school, yeah, world, and, right? And, I, just yes. know. Yeah. I don't think that they work enough on the timing and the and the accuracy. Now Mahomes does. You can see it. He does things. He puts balls on people's hands. Uh, you know, the the great quarterbacks, you know, basically put balls on guys' hands all all day long. You know, they were throwing before the guy cuts because they Tom Brady. Were, you Tom know, Brady. Yeah. 
they know the timing. They know they know their receiver. You know, you have receivers that don't run hard routes. You know, being an Eagles fan, I you know they're you know very frustrating watching the last seven weeks of football, the Philadelphia Eagles, and you watch guys that didn't run hard routes. Uh, you know, did not did not run good routes. Uh, Hertz's passing accuracy was not good. Um, you know, just so many things in watching. Well, the Cowboys too. Yeah, those routes were ridiculous. Yeah, and Dak was ridiculous. They, yeah, it all comes back to what you're saying. Pass, that's a great point. Passing act. They don't, again, they rely on numbers and other stuff. But those guys hit these guys. That's why Brady said what he said a few weeks ago, where the, the, the quarterback play is pretty bad because they're putting the ball in a place where guys can get hurt, and you see yeah. that sometimes too. Yeah, yeah. I, you know. Um, you know, and, and the Mannings were really good the other night, you know, you know, you know, Peyton and, and I and even Ray Lewis said RPO, it's old, man. You know, you know, put put something else into your offense. Put something else, you know, run the ball, you know, block, go go nose to nose with some people, set up some play action, do some stuff. I mean, Ray Lewis was a Hall of Fame student student of the game. He basically picked apart, you know, what the Eagles were doing the other night in a really constructive way, but a disappointing way that, you know, you know, you know, this ain't the same team that played in the Super Bowl last year. Well, they got a different offense coordinator. That's a big drop. Yeah. Um, Offense and and defense. And defense. And they also, uh, Bruce Arians said the same thing about their offense. Like they they, they didn't know, they they didn't go to any quick passes when they were just teeing off on uh, Hurts. Hurts, if you remember, if you um, about a month ago, Bosa after San Francisco beat beat uh, Philly, yeah, he said this is the, this is the game plan how you beat Philly, and he basically said, just you know, blitz hurts. Basically, that's what he said, you know, because he's looking at the rush all the time instead of looking at the receivers. Yeah, yeah, and that's that was the great thing about Stroud and Love. Both those guys took some tremendous hits, but they they worked a little bit longer. They let their receivers become free. And then they also um, um, they they hung in there, watched the receiver, threw the ball to a great spot, and that's why they were successful. And uh, you know, and again, they're not you nailed it. They're not teaching uh, unless the guy's doing it on his own. They're not teaching quarterback accuracy. Yeah, accuracy. Um, you know, to me, uh, the horse blinder where you look at the guy you're throwing at. Yeah. Defense reads it as opposed to looking guys off. That's kind of a lost art that guys like Brady and, you know, we watched all the old school quarterbacks do that for years. Well, they manipulated with their eyes. That yeah. was uh, they, well, they Stroud were, they were, does a good job of that. And so does Jordan yeah, Love. Well, exactly. Love and Stroud have been a breath of fresh air, and Allen has played impeccable football. You know, he's not forcing passes. Uh, he's, you know, he's throwing when he should throw. He's tucking and running when he should. Well, how about that play where he went, what, 52 yards? Uh, I saw that in Wyoming. That was one of the things I saw. Like, oh my God, this guy wants contact, lives for contact. And in the end, it may hurt him at some point, but he's a monster. He's a bull. And, uh, the Pat McAfee show had a great interview with, uh, um, uh, the center for the uh, bills yesterday. And, the center was just – and, again, offensive linemen were my guys. That's why I used to go to talk yeah. to when I went in the football uh, locker room. And he was great. He said – he said 
we just, you know, we're saying get down, get down, don't get hurt, meaning to Ireland. But yeah. then, then all of a sudden we're saying go, go, go. And and he and he he made a great comment. He also added, and this is what I saw again. This is what I saw up in yeah. Wyoming in in 2017. He says, but you know, Josh, Josh is, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here. It's not the exact quote, but it's pretty close. He says. You know, Josh is a little. You know, he he's a little. Uh, he likes he, he likes to get hit. He likes to hit people. He's a little nuts in the head. You well, know? you know that was. You got to be that way. You got to be was, that way to be successful. That was you know Jim Cully was a linebacker playing quarterback. You yes. know he didn't mind it. You and know in Buffalo you need that. Yeah, you know, uh, you know that it it still is football. It's a man's sport. It's. Uh, you know, be loved, um, be loved. That's the new saying on the back of everyone's homework for the playoffs. Be loved. You know, uh, what does you that know, mean? You know, the other thing, you know, Tampa the other night and and Buffalo and uh yards after catch, you know, where guys didn't Yak, just go Yak. down. That was you Ooh. know, that you know, that that stuff was huge. Um you know it's coming back up, to some teams. It's coming back up, to some teams. You know, watching Walter Payton, who never didn't move forward. As he was going down, he was always getting another yard or two. It always seemed like, you know, that was always that taught thing. Now guys just go down, you right. know, first touch, they're down. But no, during the playoffs, I see guys who want more. They want to go score. You know, they're, they're, how about a couple of those breaks where guys broke? Uh, was it the guy from Buffalo? Yep. The, the Sh- Shakir or Shahir? Yep. Or, yeah, he oh should have been down three times. He oh battled that. Gosh. You know, he was almost knee to the ground and ended up scoring from 12 yards out. That was incredible. Well, I have a suggestion for the NFL and for Philly and all Eagles fans. Instead of putting B Love on the back of the helmet, it's on the back of every helmet now, it's in the end zone. B Love, B E L O V. How about tackle? Yeah. Tackles should be on the back of their helmet. Yeah, how about be tough? You know, be tough. Yeah, it's football. You know, We're not turning it into a. Uh, this is not a uh, a social engineering class. It's football. Let's go. Yeah. Well, Lewis and Manning the other night just said, "You know what? You don't win. You don't win this time of year unless you're fundamentally sound. Yep. You better block. You better tackle. You better run hard. You better run good patterns. And you better make good passes, or else you're not going to win." There was there was such a I mean the 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 scores were so lopsided in the first round. Yeah, five five to six, right? It's awful. Yeah, I mean the NFL prides itself on parity. They love their parity, but that was mm-hmm. and as you said, the team that the teams that were fundamentally sound were the ones that that came out the victors. I think Allen to me is the best offensive weapon in the NFL. And then you know you guys mentioned Stroud and Love. Love's really developed, and I'm glad he has. Ooh, Rogers, yeah. Rogers was big on him even when he wasn't playing. Well, Rogers taught him a lot over those yeah. years. Yeah, but those guys were hammered during the draft with these S2 cognition tests and these Wonderlook tests. Ugh. They both scored poorly on it, and as a result, all these pundits out there were drilling them. I mean, Stroud dropped tremendously. He he was a number one pick coming out, and then all of a sudden through those tests, he dropped down, and kind of shows you. In my mind, that and it goes back to the scouting talk in the beginning. The people, the smart people, find you know they find value by thinking about things in first principle, believing in themselves and their eyes, and, and also what, what the, a player can do. What he don't worry yeah. about what he can't do. Worry about what he can do. Yes, yeah, and it's not a formula. Is not going to tell you that stuff, and it's certainly not a slogan on the back of your helmet. Shit, put it on the front of your helmet if you want to be tough. For God's sakes, don't put it on the back. No, yeah. I'm, I'm done with slogans. By the way, you yeah. know, and yeah. uh, you know. 
you can only go so far nowadays. But I'm done with slogans, especially in the NFL. You know what? Talk just is play. cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just play football. You know, going back to baseball with moving the Atlanta, uh, you know, uh, All Star game. Get rid of slogans. Just play baseball. Stay in your lane. You know, stay in your lane. Let us enjoy a game. I, I want to have two hours a day where I'm not I'm not hammered by, you know, social wokeness. All right. Well, uh, you, you know, the, the the Eagles had four players only meetings in the last seven weeks. Um, and the Eagles. It, yeah. Peyton, maybe Peyton, hire the right coaches. You, you, hire the right coaches. You know, Peyton goes, that's such BS. He goes, you have a meeting with everybody who's on that team, including the coaches, yes. because if you don't have the courage to say something to a coach as a man that's playing in the NFL, then you don't have the courage to ever do the right thing. Well, that's what the and, bill sent. That's what the bill center said. He said, we and, had, you know, when they switched the uh, offensive coordinators, he said, we had in our offensive uh, meeting room with tight ends, coach uh, line coach, we had three or four offensive coordinators and we all spoke up. Yeah. Just you, know, and, you know, again, if you don't have the courage to do the right thing and to accept constructive criticism, then you're never going to get any better. And, you know, all those players meetings are a bunch of platitudes to go, yeah, we got to play tougher. We got to be fundamentally sound, but then they go out and they practice and they, they don't give a shit and they go through the motions. They don't block, they don't tackle, you know, well, look at the Browns, best defense in the season, in the regular season, right? They, oh, they were they totally were embarrassing. embarrassing. Yeah. And well, I, I got to bring this up, too. I, you guys can go wherever you want with the others. If you have any other thoughts, just throw them out there. But I, I, I want to get to this, too, because I thought of this. One of the teams we, we, we need to mention uh, is the Lions, because the Lions and MCDC, Motor City, Dan Campbell, yeah. he teaches a team to be tough and play football. Yeah. And look where they are right now, and good for them. My question to you, uh, Will and Dave, is uh, the, the Tigers were like one of my father's favorite team. They were they were a team that I always enjoyed watching. Will the Tigers ever win again? I mean, Detroit finally won after 30-some years, a playoff game, and only the second time since 57, I believe. But the, I'm wondering about the Tigers. Will they ever win again, even though they're in a kind of a weak division? You know, they're, they're – I think they are going in the right direction. Um, and I think there's been some patience, which is a good thing. Um, but also a couple of the, the can't misses haven't been can't misses either. Well, so, that's, that's huge. You know, um, and a lot of those big arms that they took uh, in the, uh, you know, early, early, you know, first five picks in the draft all those years – got hurt. So you got, you know, you got guys that are going to have to come back from Tommy John, but you know, it can be done. And I, you know, I, I think AJ, AJ does a good job of getting everybody on the same page. He utilizes old school and new school stuff. Um, you know, it, you know, it, 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 to me, it's good when cities like Detroit win, Absolutely. you know, cities like Pittsburgh win, you know, uh, you, you know, again, you know, small market, big market, we hear all the time. Uh, how many people live in Green Bay? <laughs> you know, you know, how does Green Bay manage to compete in the NFL? And I know that they do revenue sharing more or whatever, but, you know, 
you know, look at the history of the Green Bay Packers. You know, Green Bay is a, you know, just, you know, suburban Milwaukee town. You know, it's. Think well, I've been it. to Lambe- Lambeau Field. I, I've covered games there. And yeah. it's, it's, an, it's a very unique place. Yeah. And the players really love being there because they, they it's kind of a little bit like Buffalo without as much snow, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But it's great to see those teams uh, win. And that's why, you know, uh, what what's your view of the Tigers, Dave? What do you see? Well, I mean, to, to kind of go backwards through Green Bay, you look at the top, and this may be the answers for the Tigers. Stability from ownership to GM to yeah. head coach to, to quarterback. They haven't had a lot of change in those areas. The Tigers, I the last time they were relevant, I remember, I think I was watching them in the sixth grade. Our teacher, Mr. Goodwin, brought them in to watch so we could watch them play the Padres in the in the World Series way back when. I think that was 84, maybe. 84. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. you know, they, they – they uh, under under the Dombrowski, they bounced back, and uh, I, I still remember one of their relief pitchers. I was watching a game in L.A. because I was covering the Dodgers playoffs, and I went to one of my little favorite restaurants out in Pasadena, and so I was sitting at the at kind of like uh, the counter. It was kind of like a, a diner type place, but a great place. And I'm watching, and I'm saying, please don't throw a change up to David Ortiz. And, <laughs> Remember that, Will? I do. Uh, and they threw the, a change at the Ortiz who hit it out of the park. Yeah, it was the, the the Latin guy that had been a closer. and had, yeah. He had a decent split that had become more of a flat change up, and that's exactly what he threw. And that was the ball where Torrey Hunter flipped over the fence, right, yep. on the grand slam. Yep. So, uh, so, I think so Dave, yeah, so 84, yeah, a little just- brief thing here and then uh that's where we are and you gotta go back to spark and it's such a great uniform such a great team such a great city i used to love i and by the way when i stayed in detroit i stayed downtown renaissance center i walked to the ballpark i like to feel the vibe of the city when i covered teams and i loved even though detroit had its issues and still has its issues uh, i loved the people of detroit and uh and never had any issues, uh, you know, all my years of going to Detroit. Because none of the other writers wanted to go to Detroit. I, I loved it. I loved Detroit. I, I think, you know, kind of going back to that model, you, you, I mean, the way you describe them, there's a toughness to it. But that when you looked at the Tigers lineup back in 84, they were old-fashioned, strong up the middle with Whitaker and Trammell. Oh, my God. Absolutely. on the mound, who was a bulldog. He wasn't coming out. And strong behind the dish. And I think Chet Lemon was their center fielder. Chet Lemon was center fielder. Parrish was their catcher. Yep. Trammell, uh, yeah, yeah, and you had those guys, and then, then, then for toughness, who did you have in right field? Kirk yeah, Gibson. Yeah. So I think that's the formula. They, you know, they, they Will's right. They, I mean, they drafted well on paper. They had all those good young pitchers they signed, and I think they, 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 they signed a nice young first baseman a couple years back who made it to the bigs this year. But I think he's under two hundred. Um, They've got a lot of good young talent. They just like this is a story of baseball. They can't stay healthy, and it goes back to the way they train and and uh, they don't do a lot of baseball activity right now. And that's that's the way their bodies the bodies are built, and they're going to break down. Well, yeah, that's the same. You know, we're, we're, and this is the point I'm making. This is why people need to listen to us. That's what's happening in football now. They're not doing a lot of football things in practice. They're not tackling. No, no they're they're... not doing Oklahoma drills or any of that stuff. Uh, in baseball, they're not doing, you know, they're not sliding. They're not uh, running the bases hard. So the same, the same nerds are ruining football. Or they've already ruined baseball, and now they're starting to ruin football with their approach to the game. Yeah, no, the the the, the Eagles tackling was embarrassing. 
how many missed tackles. Like, I, I tried to find a stat for missed tackles in the NFL, but it was an offensive stat where, you know, where runners or receivers didn't get yeah. tackled on first contact. They didn't yeah. have. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you always have to catch. They yeah. Call it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so the, the they broke that record, I think, in their their playoff game. Yeah, because I mean, my gosh, the Eagles, you know, like, like I said, you know, yummy texts I got from guys I played football with at my high school <laughs> after Eagles games and said, "What would we be doing tomorrow in practice?" Yep, <laughs> we would be doing tackling drills. Everybody on the team, including me as a quarterback, because I was also. You know, our guy, my high school coach used to make us play both ways. And you would have to be able to, in case there was an injury, know uh, I would play uh, on the other side of the ball. I would play safety. It was the slowest, slowest safety in the history of high school football. But um, but I kept, everybody, I kept everybody in front of me. That's it. You manipulated well, you know, I think, it, you know, we're talking about Strouds and Jordan Loves and guys like that. But, you know. How about the Rams? That's one. Of, that that was one of the few competitive games they could have won yeah. that game, but they didn't. Uh, you know, Puka Nakua, the game he had was just phenomenal. Oh, he's, he's fabulous. Yards you have to catch. And again, we get back to scouting. They had no first round picks. They got this kid in the fifth round. They've got a lot of good players in the fifth round. The Rams yeah. good for the Rams. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, they're doing some good things. And uh, uh, you know, uh, I love watching that kid play. And I've heard some interviews with him. He's a great kid, uh, yep. works his butt off, uh, lives close to the facility in L.A. because he can't afford to live any, anywhere else. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was great to see. And uh, uh, so, so there's, a, there's a shout out to a guy who uh, keep your eyes on. And uh, uh, there, you know, there's a lot of young young men that are, are real leaders in, in the game. Stroud, uh, what strong Christian values he has. and You know, listening to uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan Love talk after the game, how humble he was and how focused he is on, on saying and doing, more importantly, doing the right things. You know, believe, you know, they, you know, they believe in themselves. You know, you listen to people, you know, uh, after the game, they were saying, my gosh, all week long, Green Bay had an not an arrogance, but a confidence about themselves coming into Dallas like they knew they were going to win. And they did. I mean, you know, uh, and that's, you know, when you do the work, you are prepared when, you know, and, and you, you could see they were highly prepared for that game. And Dallas was not prepared at all. You know, like you mentioned, Prescott, you know, who 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 had really gotten good at getting rid of the ball quickly, um, you know, their 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 self-proclaimed superstar, Ceedee Lamb, had his little pity party early oh in God. the game, and and everybody had to go over and you know hold his hands and stuff, which was ridiculous, um, and you know th- that really hurt them, and there there again is makeup, you know. Body language. That's yeah, a, yeah. Like the, the guy you mentioned, Kevin from the Rams, and then oh, yeah. CD Lamb. I mean, that kid when he got hit and he hit the ground. I mean, you, you talked about Walter Payton earlier on. Well, yeah, those are that, that that kid from the Rams. He got back up quick. Yeah, and there's mistakes made. You didn't see it on his body. You didn't see him shaking his head, putting his hands up at the quarterback. Yeah. CD Lamb kills me with that stuff. Yeah, um, he did it as a college player. 
probably did it as a high school player. Probably did it when his mother asked him if he brushed his teeth. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Probably goes back to when he was a kid. He's doing the and, same. And it, it started ever. as the first play, basically the first player of the game where poor Dak was like, come on, let's go. You're going to playoff game. Yeah. Yeah. Something must have happened. Again, this is, you know, we look at things a little differently here because we going into that game, something must have happened in warmups or during the week. There, where yeah. he, you know, he, he got a little, uh, little crybabyish, and, well, and, and he, you know so, something had to happen in the that Eagles. ain't happening where bill belichick if he no. becomes your coach no. something had to happen in the eagles clubhouse to go from 10 and 1 absolutely, absolutely. to 11 and 7 at the end of the season that's that's embarrassing and rock paper scissors did you see did you see how he uh interviewed draftees when he first took over seriani one of the key components is he played rock paper scissors against him and mm-hmm. that was one of his evaluation tools Maybe they should have played that. Jesus, I, I have nothing to say about that. <laughs> I, I thought it was a joke when they read it. No, he, he backed it up, verified it. He seems like a tough guy, Sirianna, so I don't know. Yeah, I, was a, I, I thought he was doing well with it. I, I, and I think you lose your coordinators like that. And I still think Hertz was banged up, but he yeah, he looked different. Well, you, you brought it up. He wasn't running. He wasn't I – mean, yeah, he got Hertz, nasty. You know, Hertz has not been the same since he hurt his knee late in the season last year. And I don't know if – um, he's never come back from that, and he's afraid. You know, like being an Eagles fan, I watched Carson Wentz tear his knee up and never, never be the same guy again. And yeah, I'm wondering if now that's happening to Hertz again. You know, uh, because you know, like his fear of contact, his fear of you know tucking the ball and running and and just being unsure of himself and not seeing to have his feet underneath of him when he's throwing it, it, you know, it's been hard to watch since he hurt his knee last year. Well, it's, a lot, it's a lot like a pitcher who who's afraid to challenge a hitter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and again, that's what, you know, we try to, we try to bring that into here. And uh, one other point I wanted to make, I know we got to wrap it up soon, but uh, we also, uh, you know, I, I got my uh, shows that I love to watch uh, here and there. And I, t- I want to give a recommendation you know, I'm a big fan of The Chosen, of course, um, but there's also a, a, a four-part documentary on uh, on Prime now called Jonathan Jesus and Jesus, you know, and it's it's uh, Jonathan Rumi's um, uh, kind of faith journey. Very interesting, something you wouldn't expect to find on Prime, and um, I highly recommend it because it gives you some, uh, uh, you know, just a nice guy just a nice guy and, and what he's done. And, and, you know, he, this, this is his travels around because he basically went, and this is what we, we say this in sports all the time too. When you get the hungry athlete, he, he, he basically was broke, had no money at all. Could barely, he had no, just had no enough money for uh, maybe dinner that night living in LA area. And, um, um, and and basically he, he 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 as he says in the show he got on his hands and knees and prayed and and four checks arrived the next that day in the mail that got him basically got him to eleven hundred dollars and uh, a few weeks later he got the big break um, you know and, and uh, became uh, the actor on the chosen and uh, it's just an amazing story but it's it's also similar to some of these you know some of these stories with these football players and baseball players are just phenomenal. And that's why I kind of always root for the underdog. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. 
So what give the name of that again? You, I, I've never seen the chosen. I got to take a look. Oh, at you got to see it. It's, 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 it, 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 yeah. Hang with it. It's four seasons now. I think three or four, yeah. three seasons, and it's going into their fourth. But they name it the uh, sideshow, the, the four part episode, which gives you a little deeper view of the actor is Jonathan and Jesus. And they, and they bring a lot of people into it. Some, some of the people you may agree with, some people you may not. Um, but um, it's really, it just follows his life, really, how he went from, yeah. you know, it's almost like, it's like the story I did on the 42-year-old pitcher who we got to get on the show, uh, who's throwing 101, but teams won't look at him. Uh, you know, he's he's been through double, uh, you know, he's had two Tommy Johns, but he's in incredible shape now. He's a... He's a um, he can do all kinds of gymnastics. He changed his whole routine, and I think this is the future of football and baseball. You see what Stroud does before a game, where he does all those different sports to because they. This is very interesting as for our young uh, listeners here, and I listen to Stroud talk about this. He believes that being a quarterback is a rotational job. In other words, he's got to have his. His, his core, but it can't be overbuilt core. It has to be a flexible core. Yeah. So he, before every game, he swings, uh, you know, I think they used to call it the hitting stick. Uh, my daughter used to use one in softball. And he th- he shoots baskets. He throws the football. He does different things from different angles. And to be a successful NFL quarterback, much like a baseball player now, you got to be able to produce from different angles. And that's why when you watch, and, and well, I want to get this to see you, that's why it drives me absolutely insane when I watch maybe a minor league team or a spring training where you have a coach come out hitting these little dribblers or whatever, not really testing the infield. And that's why they can't field anymore. But but Stroud has took it upon himself to be – his workout is totally different. Maybe it's like the, the Yakahoma uh, – the, the uh, Yashinubo Yak, – Yak, uh, I can't think of his name. His, his, but he throws a javelin right now, the, yeah. the Japanese pitcher. So I think it's got to change to get more athletic, and um, and that's what. And to me, Jordan Love does that too because we know that's what Rogers did. You know, Rogers believed in a lot of that stuff. So it, I think I think I think the core way to become a great athlete is changed a little bit, getting back to some basics. Yeah, hip mobility is huge. Yeah, yeah. And that's like- that's a that's a question for Sal, but I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, no, Sal, Sal hammers hips all the time, hip mobility, and um, that that this type of stuff you're talking about, C.J. Stroud. I mean, that's stuff that adults should be doing to stay mobile. Get out and play, you know. Get out and throw a ball, swing a bat. Um, you don't have to hit off a pitcher, but um, do some tai chi. Keeps you healthy. <laughs> mobility is stretching and strength, so I, I love it. I uh, no, I commend you on the Stroud call. Ninety-eight uh, percent of America was against him. Well, and, you know. Just again, you know, pat myself on the back, but Josh Allen and Stroud, that's two home runs right there. And yeah. and, and and it was done beforehand, not afterwards. And and you got um you got guys running teams in both baseball and you know and and, and football. And I and I don't I gotta be honest, I don't follow basketball like I once did, so I can't really give you any evaluations there. Although I did like uh I I like Brunson a lot, the kid the the, the Knicks got because I always said for years the problem with the Knicks was they always had a point guard who dribbled like he had a square basketball. And uh, so, you know, so he, 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 and I knew him as a kid because his dad played for the team when I covered him. And um, so it's, uh, you know, 
there's a lot of good there's a lot of good young athletes that uh, the kids can model themselves after right now. And, and Stroud is a very humble person, um, good teammate, has fun, but also believes in the core values of you know he has a strong religious background and and he's he's something else. He's only 19 years old, right? 19, 20 years old. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, 20, 20 or 21. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He you said know, he was the youngest, yeah. uh, well, the youngest quarterback to win a playoff game. Well, that's another thing too, uh, fellows. When is base football going to figure out and baseball going to figure out? You got to have some young guys. Yeah. <laughs> you got to well, have young Green, guys. Green Bay, I think, is the youngest team in the NFL. I think I read that the other day. Yeah, they are. They are. Uh, you know, hats off too to D'Amico Ryan's, who's done a really nice oh. job there in Houston. And he came in with passion. Again, a yeah. coach that comes in with passion and teaches yeah. fundamentals and obviously made the great draft pick. Knowing how the NFL is, I'm wondering if the Astros – I'm wondering if Houston uh, – if, if the Texans uh, put out some bad bad things on Stroud that people fell for. Because, uh, I mean, you watch – and again, the other kid, Young, is going to – he may be good. But my first reaction when I saw Young was, especially now, with, if you notice, the defensive linemen drop back a lot now and jump um, – He's too small. Yeah, you, can't see. you got to move the pocket for him. And they don't do that in Carroll. You know, they didn't do that there. And uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's really, to me, it's amazing how football and baseball are beginning to mirror, mirror one another. And that, that, that's why I love to talk about that stuff. Yeah. And you're not too far off with basketball either. It's the same way. I, I got a, uh, and I know we're running on time here. I got a, I get stuff sent to me on DM all the time. And somebody sent me a video I get mad when they start comparing. They, they always say that the women's game is more fundamental than the men, and it's not. They have the same habits. Yeah, I, my daughter play played college basketball. It's not, believe me. No, it's just, it's it's worth it's. Uh, but I got a video sent to me of uh, from a former player, Kentucky women uh, playing um, a former player and a current guy that plays for me playing um, South Carolina, number one against an unranked team, and it was seventeen fifteen. Kid on South Carolina stole a ball on the wing. And went down and dunked it. Now it wasn't like a booming dunk. It was, a, you know, it was a women's player dunking. And the guy that I coached, and this guy, he's probably ten years younger than me. He said, "What would you have done to us?" And you know, there was nobody back on Kentucky on defense. They had only one player made it over half court. The other four were back in the back court. That's an immediate timeout right there. Oh my god, I I, I would have emptied the bench immediately. But we we used to run games in practice. I let them do what we'd call free play. But that didn't mean you got to play like an idiot. We'd play our style, our play. But one of the rules were, especially with pickup, and you guys have seen enough or been a part of park basketball and pickup, if a steal is made at any point in time, if a steal or a missed shot happens, and on that transition, the defense, everybody's not back in the key, meaning inside the three-point mm-hmm. line, the game stops. Whatever time is left on the clock, we get on the line and we run what I'd call six and 30s mm-hmm. the remaining of time. So if that happened two minutes into the game, time would stop everybody on the line, and we'd go down, back, down, back, down, back. And whatever time you had left in 35 seconds, we'd do it. I'm looking at my text. Whatever time you had left in that 35 seconds, that was your rest, and you go again. You do it for the entire 38 minutes. And my message to them was, you can either run hard in the game and play hard, or you can run hard without the ball. Which one's more fun? <laughs> and uh, so I, I only had to do that one time as a head college coach. Again, I look back. I was 28, I think, uh, when I got my first Division one had coaching job. So I'd have a lot of do-overs. That may have been, um, I may have been a little harsh with that, but it certainly proved the point. And uh, I got that video and I shook my head. First one I got sent to me, I was like, look at this girl, Duncan. And the first thing I looked at, I guess that's the coach. And yeah, looking for the defense. Kentucky. <laughs> and uh, 
I saw the same thing happen in the men's game the other night watching Calipari. Now this goes back to that point. Um, he had the kid Wagner, Milt Wagner's grandson. Yeah. Yep. Um, got all stolen. He, he got back in the key, but he kind of jogged back timeout, sat him down. And his message to him was your body language. And the fact you must've been way too tired to run. Cause I know you would have ran your ass off. If you weren't, you, you're not ready to play. You not ready to play. And he took him out. So it's actually two same programs, same building, same practice facility, different message. No, there was no substitution made, no timeout, no nothing. But, uh, yeah, I got that sent by and it was funny. I got a sent by from a, a men's player and a women's player. That and, is interesting. Uh, and it goes back to the thing about, I didn't bench you, you bench yourself. Yeah. You're telling me that you're not equipped mentally or physically to play. And that's my, you know, body to me, that type of stuff is, is a, is a window to your toughness yeah. no matter what. So well, that's what we're seeing in the NFL now. And that's why with some teams and they, they, they think it's the pro bowl and not a, not a, a playoff game. You yeah. know, your actions should have consequences. That's right. Starts at home. Well, how do we want to leave the show today? It's, uh, I got uh, one thing. I, uh, I'm looking at our top uh, line here, Hall of Fame. Um, pulling hard for Todd Helton and Gary Sheffield. Well, I voted for both of them. and uh, Both of those guys uh, helped me win a World Series ring for Gary. And uh, I think he's very deserving. Uh, I loved his cry cry or whatever that he put out the other day that, that, that he, you know, somehow got put into some steroid thing. He never failed a test, never took steroids. He, yeah, he used to dream. What do you say? Once. Or, and I knew Gary through his whole career. He never changed yeah. physically. He wasn't bonds. No, no. But, but there are certain writers who have had that ax to grind from day one. Cause, cause Gary did not suffer fools in the clubhouse. So, well, you know, if he Gary, you were a fool writer. He would not uh, deal with you, and I think that's what's happened with some some of these guys. And, and, uh, and then Todd Helton uh, should be pretty neat. I'm going to be in Denver next week for having our 30th anniversary summit. Oh, nice, yeah. And uh, the Hall of Fame gets announced. Todd does work for us now as uh, a special assistant to the GM and the owner. He goes through our system. He, I don't think he's going to be attending, but uh, hopefully we're going to be. Uh, I, I looked at the, the itinerary and we're going to be having an organizational dinner and they're going to have it on the big screen, uh, the Hall of Fame announcement. So hopefully Todd gets uh, gets in. That'd yeah, be great. Get in. And uh, yeah. before, well, I, I also wanted to ask you why you brought that up. Um, uh, tell, tell the Gary Sheffield story about what uh, what changed for him in Miami. Yeah, I you know, Gary was a great young player. Um, he was a little bit immature. He got to the big leagues at a young age. He did some things that I think pissed some people off. Um, he would not run balls out. Uh, Jim Leland pushed, pushed, pushed to a certain point. Uh, and David Dombrowski went out and got Darren Dalton and Darren Dalton had a little talk with Gary Sheffield about second or third day with the team. And he said, you know what? I look around this clubhouse and this is probably my last chance to win a world series ring. And this team can win a world series, but it's going to take an effort from you. And if you pull that shit again, uh, you and I are going to fight. And Sheffield looked at him, <laughs> kind of taken back. And he said, no, he said, uh, he said, I'll fight you every day till the end of the season. You know, you might kick my ass, but, uh, 
you're going to play hard. And Gary Sheffield played hard the rest of the year. I think he figured it out, you know, that, you know what, uh, to use a Joe Madden term, he respected the 90 feet. Um, that was really the only thing that he did that was, you know, that would piss people off that sometimes he'd hit a ground ball right at somebody and didn't run it out. Maybe they would bobble it and go, gosh, man, you got to run that stuff out or whatever. But, uh, he played hard. Um, he had more team at bats during that world series. I think he had two big RBI situations where he took breaking balls instead of trying to hook them and drive them out of the park. He drove them the right center field for doubles. One was in Cleveland that one night, that 14 to 11 game. Wow. It went about five hours long where he hit a bases loaded double to right center field. But uh, just, you know, I think it changed his career and he became a leader in the clubhouse. And that was just, you know, veteran leadership, a manager who we all saw the, the Jim Leland, Barry Bonds thing go, this is, you know, this is my effing team. You're going to play the way I effing say, you know, Um, you know, we've come to an industry now where they make so much money. Um, A lot of those guys have more, way more power than the manager and that kind of stuff gets people fired, gets players released, but uh, you know, that's it. So I'm, I'm done on that one. No, I, uh, you know, I covered Gary as a player in San Diego, got to know him really well, knew him his whole career. And, and in San Diego, he had he had leadership in Fred McGriff and Tony Gwynn, especially Freddie. Freddie was a great yeah. leader. And uh, so he was he 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 played the game the right way. And uh, he just needed he needed that fatherly figure, older player to kind of, you know, tell him, you know, you know, you know, do, do it the right way. And and, and uh, Dalton did that for him. McGriff did that for him. Yeah. And, and and then eventually he became that type of player where he could he could lead. And uh, it's a no brainer to me. I can't believe he's in the last year and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Right. And if he comes up a little short, you know that that that's a miss by the baseball writers. I agree. And I guarantee you that uh, one of these veterans committee will get him in pretty soon. I agree. Yeah. Well, Kevin, remind everybody where they can find you. Make sure we're supporting Ball 9 and what they're trying to do for baseball as well. But remind the audience where they can find you on social and when they can see your articles. Yeah, Ball9.com twice a week. Uh, Got to come up with something for today. And uh, it'll be, be an interesting day. And then also, of course, I, you know, I'm a little active, probably too active sometimes on uh, on X. And it's uh, AMBS underscore Kernan, AMBS America's Most Beloved Sports Writer. Little irony there. Uh, underscore Kernan, K E R N A N, and um, you know it's uh, it's uh, we're in interesting times in all kinds of sports, and and the ball nine articles are being you know they're pretty pretty well done. Um, we hit topical s- subjects that people don't touch because you know how many stories can you read that so and so is going to wind up here, and then the next day you read so and so is going to wind up here. Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, uh, try to do something that, like the scout story, Fielding Dreams. Um, uh, I try to do something that makes, you know, makes makes you a readable story, you know, especially, and on Sundays I do a thing called the story. So it's a little bit more in depth sometimes. Sometimes during the week it's, I pick up on something that's going on in the game and really hammer it. And 
It's what I've been doing my whole life, going back to the uh, original, how you opened the show. Um, I'm still a little surprised I didn't get Miami from from uh, my time on Cold Pizza and uh, First Take, the original First Take. was on quite often. And, uh, you know, but again, I wasn't, I was a freelancer with them. Uh, uh, maybe if I was working for ESPN at the time, they may, might have made the extra effort and, and uh, you know, got me my uh, free Emmy. But, uh, hey, I can live without it. It'd be nice to have one in my office, but what do you, that's okay. I can go without it because I'd rather earn it, to be honest with you. But I thought I earned it. Yeah, well, we're up for that award with Sportscast Group, so it's not an Emmy, but uh, it's appreciation, I think, or recognition for what this show's done and, and our network's done. So we appreciate what you do here, and uh, I agree with you. That Emmy should be be yours. <laughs> Guys, great show today. Uh, I know I kept you extra, but we appreciate your time. And we'll see you next time. Episode 412 on Real Voice of the Game. This is Coach and Turner. This town ain't big. This town ain't small. It's a little of both, they say. Our ball club may be minor league. But at least it's triple A.